Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Three Point Weekly. We got a lot to talk about again this week. We got the drama with the New Orleans Pelicans and Zion Williamson, a bit of a recap on the All-Star weekend, and the potential that Kyrie Irving could be back as a full-time player for Brooklyn before the playoffs. We're going to get started off in New Orleans, though, with Zion Williamson. The story is over the last week or so that Zion had not reached out to CJ McCollum since being traded to the team, although it does appear that that has changed at the time about a week and a half after CJ had been traded, that it's still not been the case. CJ is the head of the NBA Players Association, which makes this even more concerning and weird considering the fact everyone has a contact to CJ across the league from a player standpoint. And then the Pelicans followed up with not including Zion in their pitch to fans for buying season tickets next year, which is just odd to not include your star player who was picked first overall only three years ago. So I'm going to pass it off to first, you first, Gabe, but it's such an odd scenario from Zion's camp, from the Pelicans' camp. There's a lot of weird stuff going on. I really just think that he does not want to be in the city, which I really hate for them because I think it's a giant blow to small market teams and franchises to where he's not even really giving them a chance. Because from a pure basketball perspective, I like their roster, I'm going to be honest. I think they have obviously made a few mistakes there, like getting rid of Alonzo was a really big thing. I think not only did Zion like him a lot, but I think he fit really well with what they should be trying to do with the pieces they have. Obviously, there were some coaching missteps there as well with how they use Lonzo and the Eric Bledsoe situation. But like CJ is a guard there. I think he fits pretty well with them. Ingram and Valanciunas are both like, I mean, Ingram's been an all-star. I think Valanciunas is like that one tier below. And so it's like, you have a pretty solid roster. Um, And then I feel like out of all things, just signing like some guard to be a little bit of a facilitator in the off season could definitely be possible. So it's like from if you're playing perspective, I don't think the situation is that bad. It's literally just like he got he has to just hate New Orleans and want to be in like New York or L.A. or one of those giant markets because I don't get it personally. I've been I've been on the train of defending Zion. I don't think I can do it anymore, man. It's it's getting tiring because, like you said, Gabe, he probably wants to be in, like, a bigger market. But what has he done to deserve that kind of pull? Like, I don't really think he's done that much. Even though he's been an all-star, I don't think he's done that much. This team has not sniffed a play-in, which is what the expectation was from his rookie year on. Like, this should at least be a playing team. And they haven't even done that. So, I think his camp is very – like, they're mismanaging this. And the fact that they didn't even – he didn't even hit up CJ. It's just like, that's poor, man. And when I heard JJ Reddick go on ESPN and basically like reinforce the the mindset that he's a disconnected teammate, it just like, it makes it look so bad on his part. And for him to be this young and having this, just this many like red flags, it's, it's a bad sign. And I saw somebody on Twitter say like, it took LeBron almost a decade to have a roster that was this talented. He's playing with, like, two, potentially three all-star caliber dudes alongside himself, and he's still finding ways to complain. And plus, the dude hasn't even played a game of basketball this season, and he's making all this noise. I can't defend that anymore, man. He needs to get his stuff together, and he needs to get healthy, get on the court, and at least give this team a chance to, you know, see what they can do together. Yeah, I agree. I, I usually like to be on the side of pro player defending the player. But for a guy that has not even played 100 NBA games yet, if I'm not mistaken, it's just he's never seemed consent in New Orleans. It almost just seems as if he never gave New Orleans a chance. He just went in with the mentality that he just wanted out from the get-go. And fair enough if he wanted to get, leave at some point. But from a basketball perspective, as you guys have said, there's no reason this can't be a competitive roster. There's no reason this can't be a team that Zion can have some success within. So it's it's tough to defend Zion. The Pelicans not even inclu- including Zion in a pitch for season tickets definitely isn't helping things. I think there's definitely some blame to go both ways. But, yeah, it's tough to keep defending him at this point. I hope he can come back next year. They can at least have a productive season. But, I mean, this guy's played 85 games, going to be going into year four. Hasn't shown the ability to stay healthy. He'll get a big contract from someone. But it's like, Sure, he's been good, but health is a concern. Character is a concern. Defense hasn't been great. Not that that's completely overruling the fact he shouldn't get a big deal. 
but it's like you're not exactly signing Zion to know you have an all NBA caliber player who can be an elite two way talent who's available 70 plus games a year. Hopefully we're, he can figure like, it out, but it's, it's a tough situation going forward. We're like so far disconnected from his freshman year at Duke to now, which was just like two and a half, three years ago. Like it's not that long ago. Like we're so far gone from that point. And but yeah, I think the Pelicans also could have done a better job. They're, they're, they haven't been perfect at all. Like they haven't been perfect at all, but they're still trying. Like they're still trying to make this roster better. Um, they got rid of Stan Van Gundy after one season. They brought in Willie Green to be the new head coach. I think he's done an okay job with the cards he's been dealt. And this is a it's a talented young roster. And I just don't see why Zion would be so adamant to just give up on his team right now. Um, and it would be different if this was like somebody like Luca or even like John Morant making all this noise because at least they've done like they've had some success. They made the postseason and stuff. Zion hasn't even come close to doing any of that. And like you said, he's only played 85 career games. Like he's played one season and three more games after that. Like he hasn't even played that much NBA basketball to be making all this noise, especially when he's not even on the court, man. It's just I can't I just can't defend it anymore, man. It's kind of it's frustrating, you know, because I want to see him do big things on the court. But when he's making all this noise off the court and he's not even available for his team, it's just a mess. What I will say is to go off of that, you did mention that thing where you were like, if it was like Luca or Ja, I think a thing you see in the Zion situation is that like distrust with the GM. And in the case of Luca, it was like, okay, I think a lot of things came out that he didn't like Rick Carlisle. He didn't like, like playing with Chris Stops. And so they got rid of him. Like, they kind of did what he wanted. And I think Zion, he, like, wants that same treatment almost, where he's like, I don't like David Griffin. I think he should be out of here if I'm going to stay. Because he, did, like, I just come out so many times that he doesn't trust him and, like, so many reports about that. I feel like it hasn't been confirmed, but it's low-key confirmed. And it's like, you got to get out there and you got to show that you're a valuable piece. Because obviously we know he has value, but, like, what value do you really have if you're not playing? You gotta so play they're like, franchise if you want the franchise yeah. to do what you want. And David Griffin, he hasn't been perfect, but I mean, he's been pretty solid. Like he made the really bad deal to get like Bloodsoe and Steven Adams, but then he flipped them into things that really are not bad. And so overall, I think this roster overall is better than when David Griffin took over. So at the end of the day, like he's really not doing a terrible job, which makes it even harder to move off of them relative to like, a Rick Carlisle who's leading a team to like a seven seed who might have a little bit higher of a ceiling or like a Chris Dobbs who's constantly injured in and out plays very inconsistent. But it almost reminds me of like, imagine if Joel Embiid had requested a trade in like the 17-18 season. Like say you have like Ben Simmons on your roster that's like an Ingram type player, a couple of other solid pieces. But then you're like, nah, this isn't going to work. This team's had a bad culture for a while. Like, this, there hasn't been anything here in forever. I don't want to be here. And then he just asked out. And it's like, you're not even giving them time because, what, Philly wasn't really a true contender back then. But give them, like, two years. They got Jimmy Butler. Uh, they've regrouped now. They have, like, James Harden on that roster. Like, just give them time and they'll give you players. You just got to give them the opportunities to build around you. And it's hard to build around you when you're not there to set the foundation. I think, too, in today's NBA, unless you're, like, one of the top five players in the league, it's hard to move to an organization and build a winning team. It's not like back in the day where teams would have 50, 60, 70 million cap space and go out and sign everyone. Everything's via signing trades now for the most part. So you don't just acquire a guy and then have a ton of talent because you have to give up assets to get that talent back now as well. And teams just don't have that type of cap space to acquire multiple stars anymore. So it's not going to be as easy for Zion to just say, I want to go to the Knicks. Let's develop a team here and we're going to have a contender. It's just not that easy anymore compared to when LeBron did it with Miami or in other situations where you bring in like two guys are just outright signed as free agents. It just doesn't happen anymore. It's, it's not as easy. Yeah, and he's not going to move to a new, a new situation where he's playing with somebody that's on the same caliber, Brandon Ingram, or better. And even CJ McCollum, like, I don't think he's going to just move to a, to a New York Knicks team and all of a sudden, you know, RJ is not better than B.I. You know, Julius Randle's not better than what CJ is right now. So it's like 
the grass is not always greener on the other side. I think that's the message his camp needs to get through their heads. It's not always greener. Now, I do think there's a situation where he could end up in, like, Atlanta or something. So, for that, I will have to say he could end up with a player better than himself, given, I think, Atlanta does have a couple contracts they could trade to kind of make that work. And there are a couple teams that do. But I will say, most likely, especially with the teams he's looking at, like those big markets, if you look at the biggest markets in the league, Lakers, he, I mean, the, no, he's not going to the Lakers. They have no cap space, and those contracts that they could trade, like Westbrook, for example, are not tradable. I think we've seen that. Like, they're not the – Pelicans aren't doing that deal. Then you see, like, New York – why would you even go to New York? Like, I feel like you're just not going to win. That team has been struggling so bad. There's the whole, like, Julius Randle thing. I don't think the Pelicans are trading for Randle. And I, I don't know, for, like, just a PR perspective, and, like, you're going to just be the most hated man in the league. I'm sorry. If Zion forces his way to the Knicks, you're, you're going to be the most hated man in the league. But I think, like, basically just to sum up that point, most of the biggest markets – you're not going to realistically end up there and do well, I think. Yeah, he, he's being – he's bogus. He's bogus right now, man. I'm I'm off the team's island train for, for the near future because it's getting – um it's just getting out of hand, bro. It's, it's really getting out of hand. Like, the fact this man's only played a handful of NBA games and he's already trying to force his way out, man. Um. Gabe, you said something earlier, like you compared it to like if Joel Embiid asked out. It's kind of similar to like what if Giannis, you know, did that, but he gave the Bucks another season to, you know, he actually he trusted the Bucks. He signed the Super Max and he trusted that they would make the moves necessary and they did that. So I applaud David Griffin because he's still trying to build a competent roster, but he's Zion's not available to play with this roster right now. So I think the onus is more on him more than anybody else. Yeah, that's why I made the Embiid comparison because of that, like, not being available and being missed, like, basically two and a half of his first three seasons, I think, maybe three and a half of his first four, one of those two. And so it was like, we knew you're a great player, but it's very hard to build a roster around you when you're not there. But then as soon as he came and was actually playing, then they started building things up quick. Yeah, no, I agree. I just hope at some point we can see Zion healthy and just on a court. I mean, ideally, hopefully it's, in New Orleans, and he at least gives them a chance, but just hope he can get healthy. He's back next year, and we can just actually see him play basketball for an NBA season again because we're three years in, and we've only got one year of him actually playing a full season. So let's hope we can get there. Moving on to another piece of, of drama or a player that's had a lot of drama around him this season is Kyrie Irving. But he might be in a better situation moving forward as there might be some changes now happening in New York that are going to allow Kyrie to be a full-time player. When that will be is still not certain. Could be before the playoffs, could be during. But things are definitely different in the Eastern Conference if the Brooklyn Nets have Kyrie Irving for seven games a, se a series instead of three or four games a series. This is a different team. Like you, And especially now, without James Harden, I think Kyrie being unavailable hurts this team a lot more than it did before because you don't have that second star playmaker and shot creator on the perimeter. You have Simmons who can playmake for you a bit, but he's not exactly creating buckets for you. You got KD and that's it. So this is a big shift that could happen in the Eastern Conference. I'll pass this one off to you, Tyreek, but this could definitely change things in the Eastern Conference moving forward into the playoffs if he is available full-time. It could, but I'm still not, like, sold on this team. I'm not sold on this being their year um, because they said – I just got the report earlier, Ben Simmons is not even, like, fully ramped up. He's not even doing, like, intense basketball activities. So I'm not sure when this team is even going to, you know, debut, you know, together because KD's still out for at least a few more weeks. Um, as you said, we don't know when this um, vaccine mandate in New York is going to be lifted. It could be, like, within the next month or it could be – during the postseason, we're not really sure. So I'm not sure if this is their year, um, but I do like the fact that they will at least potentially have Kyrie available because it still makes them a little bit more deadly of a playoff threat, especially with, with KD coming back. But they, they've dug themselves a pretty big hole. Um, I think it's inevitable they're probably going to be a playing team. 
But still, I would not want to see KD and Kyrie Irving in the first round, whether Ben Simmons is fully ramped up or not. I would not want to see that team in the first round. I think that's still, like, it kind of reminds me of the Lakers last season. Like, we knew what the Lakers were capable of when they were fully healthy, fully on the court. And they gave the Suns a run for their money in the first round before AD went down with the injury. It could be a similar situation this season. So it's going to make the Eastern Conference playoffs a little more enticing for sure. It just makes me sad, man. I I hate this so often now. It's like we get these great teams, and I'm like, dude, I'm so excited to watch them play together. And then they just don't. Like, it started with, like, Kawhi and PG. They were they were having a good run. Like, obviously, they made that conference finals run. They closed it out without Kawhi, so I'm assuming they would have with them. They could have made a really big run last year. Then the Nets with Harden, it's like they barely ever got to be together. And now the Nets made this other move, and I'm like, oh, this might be even more fun to watch just because I like that Ben Simmons aspect of, like, one of those, like, inside forward playmakers. Something about that, like, style of play I just really enjoy. And so I just want to see them together, man. I just want to see them play. Um, I don't know how – because there's no timetable on Ben Simmons or, like, the Kyrie situation, it's just tough. I – I like to see the best players play, and I like to see the best brands of basketball play. And stars not playing, it, it just hurts. Even right now with Chris Paul out, I'm like, I, I hate to see it. The Suns were playing so good. They were on, like, at least probably 65-win pace. I'm like, we're watching greatness right now. And now it's just taken away. That's, that's the only point I want to make here is I, I hate that. Yeah, we're going to go into that even more when we talk about the what-ifs with injuries later on. But, yeah, I completely agree, like, Brooklyn are going to be better with Kyrie, but they're hardly going to have any time to gel to get any bit of chemistry coming back together into this back end of the season. They'll be better, obviously, if Kyrie can be back full time, but I don't necessarily consider them to be a contender or a favorite as far as a contender goes, even if he is back before the playoffs full time. Defense, still a lot of questions. Chemistry, obviously going to be a lot of questions. But as you said, Tariq, I think this is going to be a very tough team to face for a first-round match. Like, if I'm Miami or I'm Chicago sitting at the top of the East right now, and I got to deal with Brooklyn in a first-round matchup, that does not sound like a fun time. But ultimately, I don't think they're like a top two or three team in the East for me personally right now. But they're going to be a tough beat, no doubt about it, regardless of when or how Kyrie is back. They're going to be a tough team to beat, no doubt about it. Who's your top two or three? Top two or three right now? Uh, top two is Bucks and Miami, for sure. Bucks and Miami. That's my so you you don't got you don't got the Bulls or Philly up there like that. Three is probably Philly. Three is then then it's kind of just I don't really know. I can go anywhere. It's time then. to it's time to put on my Demar Derozan hat. So I'm gonna have to disagree with you real quick. Man, I love Demar, that but boy, I hate feeling that the boy balls is like breaking, that. Bro, he is breaking Will Chamberlain numbers. I would love to and have has, him prove me wrong because Demar's my guy, but I, I just got to keep it how I feel. Uh, yeah, I'm, I like the Bulls. I'm just not sure if they're like top two right now. You know, they are top two. I don't know if they realistically are a top two team, like a threat to win the Eastern Conference. Listen, but these man. are so wild. These are so wild. I would, I would not be surprised at, at all. Because that team's super match, talented, man. I think, I think the Celtics or the Heat have a chance to take out the Bucks, Bro, the Bucks are the only team where I'm like, bro, the Bulls are not beating them. So if, if one of those other two matches up with the Bucks first, if they can duck the Bucks, I think they can make it. I think they – Miami's offense can go so stagnant. I think the Bulls can. The Bulls can tee up. I don't think I the think, Bulls – I don't think they can beat Philly. You don't think the Bulls can be Philly? I don't even know if Philly can stay healthy. They haven't had health problems. I don't know how much I can trust their depth either. They haven't had health problems, but Harden's had health problems over the last year. You can you can you can say you can say the same thing about the Bulls. They've been one of the most injured teams all season long. Hey, that means they'll all be back, bro. I'm just saying it could go anybody's way. It could go anybody. Don't count them out. Don't count out the Bulls. I'm definitely not putting a, money in the East. I'm not putting money on anything. Oh, nah, it's so open. No. So no. Like there's re- like there's realistically, I think seven teams that can make like runs. Yeah. Maybe even more. I, I don't know. Like it's crazy. Like I wouldn't be surprised if the Raptors could win a first round series. Like that's just how insane the East is. 
it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd say even if Atlanta like really turn it up going into the playoffs, I could stretch it as far as them. Although they'd have to be on a run. Currently, I wouldn't say so, but yeah, if they're if they're hot, if the Raptors are hot, like there's nine teams that could be be a tough a tough series either way. Like, that's going to be a really that's got to be one of the if not the best first rounds at least on paper for what the Eastern Conference will be. I'm sure they'll eat my words and then they'll probably disappoint me, but let's hope not. Everything in me needs Bulls versus Heat to happen in this playoffs. I'm going to be very conflicted. I'm going to root for the Bulls. (laughs) That's dumb. Kyle Lowry versus DeMar DeRozan for seven games. Give me that, bro. If it was the conference finals, give me that. Give me that. I'm Ooh. I'm gonna be a kid in a candy store. I'm gonna be sitting there in a onesie pajama set watching basketball with some popcorn in front of me. Like Yeah, I mean as of right now, if they both get through, that would be the conference finals. So I think I would take the heat. I think I would take the heat in that matchup. I, I can't lie. Yeah, I probably I, would. I probably would too. I think I agree. <laughs> I, I probably agree. I probably agree, but I I like to be a Bulls homer just because of DeMar. Respect. Feel that. He's been, feel that. been crazy. They need to get healthy more than anything, but that's because they're missing like half their rotation right now. It seems like they're missing a lot of guys, but the more still, he's still carrying. He's got his backpack on, man. Shout out to him. Tristan Thompson was a good ad too. Well, he's only got one game there so far, but it's a good ad. Decent addition. Yeah. Just depth, depth in the front court. That's, that's the only question I really have for the Bulls is like their front court depth. Um, I don't think, like, I think DeMar is going to write off some of those playoff struggles from the past. Um, I don't really have questions about, like, Levine not having playoff experience for Monzo Ball. I think they'll be fine. It's just a matter of health and, you know, the others. Like, is Vucevic going to be able to produce and, you know, guys like that? Yeah, I agree. Uh, Briefly, wanted to quickly talk about the All-Star game last weekend, of course. Last week, we made our all-star predictions. Some of them hit. Um, most of them didn't. Carl Anthony most Towns, <laughs> three, you, you did better than, than I did. That's for sure. Three-point three contest, of course, went to Carl Anthony Towns. First center to win the three-point contest. A shout-out to him. The hometown crowd did it in terms of the skills challenge. And then Obi Toppin did his thing in the slam dunk contest. And we'll start there. And I don't think we need to talk too much about anything else, but Man, I don't know what they can do with the slam dunk contest because I feel like the expectations are just so high. <laughs> and there's only so many dunks you can do. Like, it's tough. I, I think the slam dunk contest is, is just it is what it is. You just get rid of it. That's what you do with this. You get rid of it. Give me the one-on-one or the three-on-three, bro. I don't care if it's bench players. Three NBA bench players playing three-on-three is going to be more entertaining than 90% of things you will watch. I think we got spoiled um, the last, like, half decade or so. Um, Levine versus Gordon, we got spoiled. You know, we didn't know how good we really had it, but we just got spoiled. And we've even had some, like, I think Derrick Jones Jr. versus Gordon was good too. But it's like, there's been more misses in the dunk contest and hits over, like, the last decade. Um, It's tough because it's like the three-point shootout seems to be more exciting than the dunk contest at this, you know, day and age, so. I don't know about getting rid of it, but maybe just reorchestrating it. Or man, I just wish star players would just do it. Like, why not? Just enter the dunk contest, man. Why not? Like, give us Aunt Edwards, give us John Morant, Zion if he's healthy, Miles Bridges. Just give us the best of the best, man. I don't want to see. I don't want to see role players in the dunk contest. I'm sorry, I just don't want to see it. Yeah, I don't know. It'll never happen, but that would be ideal. I almost need to, like, it'll probably never happen because if the NBA players got stood up and weren't as good, then it would just take them off too much. But if they just got a pro dunker in there amongst three NBA players just to spice it up a little bit, that could be something too. But if that pro dunker starts doing better than the NBA players, then that's probably the last year they do that because there's no way the players agree to that at the end. So, I don't know. They, they definitely need to change something because the current format just ain't working. But And it's like, I don't know, like, they had the um, like you could miss like three dunks like that just seems like a lot, and there was no timer so Jalen Green was going for like ten minutes like I was kind of zoned out by then I'm like okay 
<laughs> you're not gonna pull this dunk off, bro. Just, yeah. just give it up. Bro, poor Jalen Green, man. <laughs> he might be having one of like the most tragic rookie seasons I've ever seen. It's not even like I'm not trying to say he's like even close to a bust or a bad player or anything. It's just this man has he's probably has the most slander I've ever seen. Just from like his numbers to like team impact to like then he killed the whole dunk contest. I'm like, poor guy. I still think he's gonna be solid. He definitely like I definitely think he's gonna be solid, but it's just been tough for bro this whole season. Social yeah. media, bro. I'll be saying like fans of like the Pistons and the Cavs and just fans with like rookies in this class, they really just be beefing for no reason. Like they really be beefing with each other. Like, man, it's it's not that deep. You can you can still support your guy Cade and enjoy watching Jalen Green. Like y'all, y'all be taking it too far, man. It's like just enjoy basketball. That's that's what all men just enjoy basketball. Exactly. Exactly. I wish the Twitter thread were exist where people appreciated both two rookies at the same time, but it is always just people will support one and then trash the other. It just doesn't exist. But exactly. they need to appreciate four rookies because let me get Scotty Barnes and Mobley some some respect. Hundred percent. Honestly, even more than them. This is this is overall a really good rookie class when it comes to just coming in and being ready to contribute and like do things that matter. I think. At least, obviously, you don't see project players play good in their first year usually because they're a project for a reason. But if some project players spring up and end up good in a couple of years, this class could be super deep. Just because so many players are already good, once you get the late bloomers in, it's, it's going to be scary. The heavily anticipated debut between James Harden and Joel Embiid, of course, happened last night as of the time of recording this a few days ago by the time you're watching this. And sure, it's an overreaction. It's only one game. And they look pretty darn good. And Cyrus Maxey, as a third part of that, looked pretty darn good as well. We're definitely going to show him his love. But sure, one game, a lot of questions still. But this duo looks good. And the spacing on this team with James Harden and this team looks quite good as well. Hey, last night was a crazy night in the box score department. Just like overall... I'll definitely get into the Sixers, but, like, just looking from, like, the Spurs trio to Kyle Kuzma had, like, 37 and 8 to R.J. Barrett, 46, like, all across the board. There was some – there was some stuff to watch last night. Like, this return since All-Star break has been – we've been spoiled, I'll tell you that. Like, if things, like, slow down in the next two weeks – don't be surprised because this this is like a ridiculous level of entertainment. But overall, I saw I saw a post today that it was like James Harden's debuts after being traded. And they've all basically been this good. Like even his debut with the Rockets, obviously his debut with Brooklyn just a year ago. But he always has this like high 20s, low 30s points, like double digit assists and then pretty good rebounding number, like that like triple double watch type game. And he, James Harden is just James Harden. I feel like at this point, he's going to go where he's going to go, and he's going he's gonna to do what he does. The only thing that really holds him back, I think, is himself and not wanting to be there and being mentally out of it. And so every time he goes to a new place and he's mentally in it again, he's ready to go. And so I'm not surprised at all. I, I totally expected this to be how he performed. Yeah, um, that's why I'm trying not to overreact too much because I feel like his debut with Brooklyn was pretty similar. Um, uh, he was doing stuff last night that I haven't seen him doing years, like moving off the ball to the open spot, catching shoot threes. Like I, I've never seen him do this. And he was doing that last night. I like the dynamic of him and Joel. I think it looked a little better than maybe I anticipated. I know it's just one game, but it looked pretty good. And the Timberwolves are a respectable team. So I think it might hold a little bit more weight. Um, I like how the pick and pop game looked. I like the pick and roll game even looked very good. The offense looked free flowing. The ball was moving. It wasn't sticking in one guy's hands for too long. It looked very good, you know, for it to be their first game together. And like you said, Tyrese Maxey was really good. And maybe he's going to be the consistent third option. Uh, It kind of looks bad because Tobias Harris is getting paid so much money. But Tyrese has been that guy all year long, man. He's been very consistent. And now it's just going to be easier for him to get going playing alongside James Harden because he's going to take the pressure off of him. So we might see a lot more games like this from Tyrese. 
I think the um, the ceiling on this team after one game, I know it's just one game, but it looks a lot better than maybe I anticipated. And James Harden looks like himself again, and Embiid was still getting his touches, and he was still doing his thing, looking like the MVP of basketball. So for, for it to be their first game, very, very impressive for sure. Yeah, I want to ask both of you guys something. Signs. Real quick. Um, so overall, James Harden, we've seen him play in a lot of different situations with a lot of different people. Do you guys think Doc Rivers is the best coach in this? Do you think this is the best system that James Harden has played in? You know, it's crazy. This is probably the best coach he's ever played for. And I still have questions about Doc Rivers, but this is probably the best coach he's ever played for. Um, I don't know, man. A lot's a lot is going to be on Doc Rivers' plate for sure. Like, if this team doesn't work out the way we, we expected to or they expected to, we got to look at him as he might be the problem. So there's a lot of pressure on him, I think, more so than maybe anybody else outside of maybe James Harden. There's a lot of pressure on Doc Rivers to get this done. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think it probably is the best head coach he's had, but Doc's got to do a good job here. Like, Doc's definitely had some questions over him now in his last few coaching tenures. Kind of followed a bit from Grace from some of the stature that he had early on in his coaching career, but I think he's still a solid coach. This should be a team that can be fairly competitive, but if this is a first-round exit, which is definitely possible because there's going to have to be one team that most people don't expect to get knocked out in the first round that does in the East. But either way, if that Philly are the team, it's not going to look good on Doc, that's for sure. But I think this is a team that can succeed spacing-wise. Like, And we had 34 last night. If Embiid can get 34 where, like, he doesn't have to work so much for that 34 like he did to some extent last night where it's just more in the flow of the offense, you have a, another perimeter creator where now you have Maxi and Harden who can create a bit, can play make a bit for him, it's going to help Embiid. It's going to make Embiid have less to do, which means potentially less injuries for him, which is always good, especially for someone who has injury concerns like Embiid. I think it's a good fit going forward. But, yeah, if they are the team that gets knocked out in the first round, not going to look good for Doc Rivers, that's for sure. See, the main reason I just wanted to ask a thing about, like, Doc and the system is because I think you've seen, like, the best coach – I feel like the pretty common consensus is his best coach prior was probably D'Antoni. And D'Antoni runs that system of, like, okay, just give the ball to the star and run everything through them. And so, Tyreek, you mentioned he was, like, moving off ball more and stuff. Do we think that could be more of a thing that happens because he's in more of a coach that's had, like, systems put in place before? Because I'm thinking about it. I'm like, then he went to – I mean, he went to Brooklyn and Steve Nash – who did Steve Nash play for in the NBA? <laughs> D'Antoni. So it's like that same style and that same tree. I feel like most people don't really think highly of any other coach Harden has had. And especially – I see, like, the whole, like, not moving off the ball problem. I think of, like, how people say Westbrook does that a lot, too. And him and Harden played in a lot of the same places. So, really, like, especially in their early tenure, I mean, both of their first two teams were the Thunder and the Rockets, so. Yeah. I mean, he he just has – he Harden has a lot of bad habits that he's picked up over the years because of the situations he's been in. But he's going to have to break some of those. Like, he can't just be standing by the hash when Joel Embiid has the ball. He has to be ready to, you know, make wide-open shots, you know. And he has to be engaged when he doesn't have the basketball. That's going to be the biggest piece to, I think, him adjusting to this new situation. And he has to do it on the fly, too, because, I mean, they made this trade to the expectation is we got to go make a finals push this year. So he has to be able to break some of those bad habits and last night was a good indicator that it's possible, but I feel like we've seen this before, so he has to continue to do this if he really wants to, you know, win the championship at the end of the day. Yeah, I completely agree. Harden has to, as you said, break those habits, and he just has to want to make those winning plays that aren't necessarily natural to him. If he can get there, this team's going to be pretty darn good. If he can't, well, they'll still be good, but they might not have that championship title ceiling that many hope they can. I was I was surprised just how like it seemed like they weren't even trying that hard and they were still up by like twenty the entire second half. And Minnesota's a good they're a good basketball team too. So that's what kind of surprised me the most. And um you kind of mentioned like it didn't seem like to me like Joel Embiid even had 34 points because we're used to like 
all season long it's been like everything is through Joel. Everything is through him. It didn't seem like it was like that last night. It seemed like he was still getting his touches. He was making the most of his touches. But then you'd have times where Harden would take over and then Maxie was getting his. And then you had other times where Matisse was hitting wide open shots, Danny Green was hitting shots. Very versatile offense it looks like it could be. So I'm excited to see what they look like, you know, moving forward as we get more games under their belt. Hey, what happened last time the best shooting guard and center in the league were on the same team? Shooting guard uh, and center. Why am I blanking on this? Last time, I, last time I can think of that is like Kobe and Dwight. That's the last time that happened. Kobe. I, and, I was thinking more Kobe and Shaq, but <laughs> hey. <laughs> go crazy yeah but, i guess i guess you could say kobe and dwight but dwight had a lot of injury problems that season so that's kind of i don't know that's i think we're past though. the point i think we're past the point of james harden being the shooting guard though i think he's i think he's a full-time point guard and i think he has been for like the last five years honestly except maybe the one or two seasons with chris paul and russell westbrook but other than that he's been like a full-time point guard yeah i agree their stretch at the start of March will be fun to see how they can contest against top teams. They got Cleveland, Miami, Chicago, Brooklyn. That'll be a fun stretch to see how they hold up against those teams. Hey, it's the perfect time, too. It's a good thing they didn't already have those games out of the way because you want to face some adversity and some tough teams before you go go into the really tough stretches in the playoffs. Yeah, you got to face adversity at some point and better it be before the playoffs than during it. Should be some fun basketball. They should play the Celtics one more time this season, I think. Uh, nope. No, they're done they against Boston. No, okay. they got that stretch. They got Dallas, Toronto, Miami, the LA's, Bucks, Suns, Cleveland again, and Toronto once. That's their notable matchups. That's not an easy schedule, but that's that's good. I think they need to get a little more battle tested, you know, with this this core group and set. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's no good going it's into the playoffs tough. just playing a bunch of weak teams. Their last five games is like Cavs, Pacers, Raptors, Pacers, and Sixers. But, the, I mean, the Cavs and Raptors games are on the road, so, like, that's that's not bad at all. Yeah, but, they're, they're but like, when season. three of your last five are against, like, bottom feeder teams, let's be honest, we, we can talk about that more when it comes closer to that time. We've, we've got a while, more than a while, but – that's, that's still good to, like, get tuned up for the playoffs, though, you know. Yeah, just, get morale I guess up, that's fair. You can, up. yeah, confidence up, and you could probably avoid some injuries. They might sit a couple games. I mean, the they might not, given how the close thing the is, conferences. All, yeah, all those games might be important because the East is so, so close right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't doubt it. I mean, they're only three and a half games ahead of the playing tournament, so no one can really rest than just – Rest guys for games. Everyone's got to keep winning. And at the same okay. rate, they're only two and a half games away from a one seed. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy. I said, I was looking at it last night, bro. The Toronto Raptors are closer to a one seed than the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. They're both six games out right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because the Suns lost last night. But yeah, I was looking crazy. during the Suns game. So that was, I looked, I was like, dude, that's crazy. That is crazy. Raptor is just nice, I guess. I don't know what to say. Yeah, the Washington Wizards in the 11 seed are closer to the one seed, or as close as Utah to the one seed who are in fourth. That tells you everything you need to know about the two conferences. It's crazy. Shout out to the Suns for being so good. <laughs> Shout out to them. Shout out to them. Heck of a team. Hope Chris Paul is ready to go and doesn't have any lingering injuries for the playoffs. I think he will be. I, I think it's better now than to happen during the playoffs. Like it's, it's much better to happen right now. Because I was afraid I was like afraid like back in my mind, just knowing Chris Paul, I'm like, man, I feel like he's gonna get hurt. And I'm I'm glad it's you know all-star break. So he has a little more time to get ramped up. But dang, he's still what it was a six to eight week injury or was it four to six? Mm. It was a little six late. to eight. Six, six to eight. Thank you. Knowing Chris Paul, he'll probably be back more so towards the six than the eight. So I think he'll be ready. Yeah, probably. It's a little strategic injury. Get himself a bit of rest before the playoffs. Be ready to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lowry well, had a couple of those. He's 36, man. He doesn't need to get his rest in. <laughs> Definitely. I'm 36. 
I need the RD. I need the RDC to come. <laughs> Moving on to our big discussion and topic of the day, we want to talk about how injuries have impacted NBA history from a team's perspective, a player's perspective, a league perspective. We're going to talk about it on every scale and just see where it takes us. But the question I want to start off asking with you, Gabe, what is the most notable event or change that comes to mind when you think of an NBA injury having possibly changed the course of a player or a franchise? All right. What I will say is, so my my thing that I'm probably going to start off with is maybe not the most like significant in history, but in about the past decade or so, I think it did cause a lot of ramifications. And it's also not one injury, it's kind of a string. And I'm just gonna say the injuries in the first two years of the Cavs Warriors saga, because there was obviously a couple there. There's like Kevin Love, Kyrie, uh, even Curry in the 2016 playoffs. I think that's one that doesn't get talked about enough. He got like injured earlier in that playoffs and that probably cost him some trouble in that final series. I think Bogey got injured there too. So just on both sides, a lot of players going down. And I mean, what that 2016 finals was now was six years ago, close to seven years ago. And so you say those injuries don't happen. It's probably the Cavs take 2015. The Warriors probably take 2016. They don't get KD. If they don't get KD, that probably changes the last six, seven years of what happens because if that happens, does the media hate KD? And so then does Brooklyn happen? And if Brooklyn doesn't happen, what are the rest of the teams doing right now? Because I feel like for like the past year and a half, obviously they just broke up now, but then that was the measuring stick. So it's like everything that's happened since 2016 is really based off those couple, even the minor injuries in 2016, because I really do think the Warriors would have won that series. It's funny because if you think about the start of the Warriors dynasty, every team they played in that first in that first year, like there were injuries. I'm pretty sure, like at least second round on, I know the Grizzlies, like they were dealing with a Mike Conley injury. And then I think Tony Allen got hurt too. And then the conference finals, they played against the Rockets, James Harden. I think the White Howard was like dealing with injuries. Like they were dealing with a lot of injuries. And obviously, you get to the finals. Then you got, you know, Kevin Love being out. Kyrie goes down in game one. And it was basically like their championship to lose at that point. So, like, I feel like the whole Warriors dynasty era is just filled with a bunch of injuries. Like, you can move – like you said, Gay 2016, they got hit with the injury bug, and it affected them winning the championship. And then, obviously, they get KD. And to me, like, the most notable one was, like, the Chris Paul injury. Because um, I'm in the camp. I really believe that Chris Paul doesn't go down. The Rockets get to the finals and they potentially win the championship. I'm, you still got to go through LeBron, which is not no easy task, but they potentially win the championship. And that was, you know, beating the Warriors team that everybody deemed to be unbeatable with KD. And they were a Chris Paul injury away from making that happen. So I, the Warriors have been a part of a lot of like the what if injury situations resulting in like changing the course of NBA history. A couple of them are Chris Paul. I think you said like 2015, like second round on. They ended up facing the Rockets. If CP3 and Blake Griffin don't get injured within 10 minutes of each other, the Clippers might have made a run. And I mean, that was the Clippers about three or four years in a row. Yeah, I think that was a different year. But Chris Paul did. He had the hamstring at the end of the first round series, so he missed like the first oh, yes. like two or three games of the next series. But they still had a chance to win. They were a three-one. They still had a chance to win that series, and they didn't. So, but Chris Paul, I think 16 was the year where Blake and Chris Paul both, like, got hurt, like, in the same game. Like, I think Chris Paul broke his hand and Blake, I, I don't remember what happened oh. to Blake, but he got hurt. Oh, I think they were playing Portland. I think, I, yeah. yeah, I got it mixed up because imagine they beat Portland because they don't get injured. And then that's the year that Steph got injured in the playoffs. And they, so, I think healthy players team goes in. Yeah, they would have played in the next round, so. Yeah, because hey. Portland played Golden State. So, it's like, I was yeah. a year off. But, yeah, if Chris Paul and Blake don't get injured within 10 minutes, things could look real different for Golden State. You need a lot of injury luck to fall together to win a 
title. I think that's what we're figuring out pretty quick. I mean, even last year, like, would Giannis be on the Bucks? I mean, he's very loyal, but there was a lot of rumors that came out, and I think they all got shut down at once when he won that ring. Yeah, both teams that made the finals, both teams that made the finals last year, they had their fair share of injury luck. But we also got to give credit to the teams that are able to stay healthy. I think that's an underrated aspect of things because everybody can get hurt, but, you know, being able to avoid those injuries, take care of your body, is something that should get applauded just a little bit more. No, definitely. You know I feel that way. It's a skill in of itself. That's a time and effort thing in of itself. It's a medical staff. That's that's not just sheer luck. I mean, sure, some of it is, but you got to put in the work to stay available. Yeah, but yeah. speaking of, since Gay turned the hat around, we got to talk about the you know how I feel. We got to talk about the 2019 finals, bro. We have to. I I think um 2019 was pretty pretty telling, man. I think that that was a championship that was won off of being able to stay healthy while the other team broke down. Yeah, it it definitely definitely played its part. Like you you can say that every title is helped by injuries, but to have two of the three star team go down with injuries, I'm a Raptors fan, but like I don't know, man, if that team's fully healthy, ready to go, KD isn't dealing with injuries pre the finals and he's ready, Clay doesn't go down with an injury, like you can make the argument we would have had a chance, but if you got to give me a pick on a seven-game series, I was taking Golden State 10 times out of 10. I would love to be wrong on that, but Golden State were just better, and that's just the ultimate reality of it. But, I mean, yeah, injuries just play, played such a big part in that. It's too bad, really, because, again, another story of injuries, but things might have been different in Golden State, and they would have been different because – they wouldn't have then went and got James Wiseman and had so many top end picks, but it changed so much. Yeah, I think the thing with like Golden State too that was so tough, like for their injuries that year, is the exhaustion of basically playing. They basically played like seven seasons and five seasons because they were playing like an extra two and a half months every year. And so when you're playing that long and have that much extra wear and tear on your body, especially when those are the most intense games, I feel like it's just, like, bound to happen. Like, we would love to live in the world of 2K simulation, no injuries, but that's why that's why you got to give props and really give a lot of credit to those teams who are in there year in and year out. LeBron making eight straight finals and not getting injured until he went to L.A., like him going back to back to back playing – Basically, like, 11 seasons and eight seasons. I, my, my, like, my math's probably off, but a lot of extra intense games. And being able to play the very last year that he played 82 games. With the bad after making seven straight finals. Like, that's crazy. That is not normal. Yeah, that level of being able to stay available and stay healthy really deserves way more credit and respect than it gets. Like, sure, again, part of it's luck, but, like, you need to be absolutely taking the best care of your body on the court, off the court, workout, stretching, nutrition, you name it. Like, there is so much to go that goes into that, to be that available when you're playing 100-plus games a season for that many years in a row. Like, that's an art and a – and a work of nature in of itself for how much dedication has to go into that. Yeah, the fact LeBron really, was doing that for like a decade is just like unprecedented is something that we'll probably never see again. I think Ironman are super, super valuable and very like underrated because even just look, looking at the Western Conference in the past decade, you know how much success the Rockets had because James Harden was there every game? He was never out. He was never injured. There was so many other teams around them. We talked about Lob City. You know, Golden State had their fair share issues. Uh, OKC, like they had times where Westbrook was out, times where KD was out. Houston was in it every year because James Harden always played. And then the first time James Harden got injured, Brooklyn probably would have won a championship. So it's like that's just the value of a guy that – doesn't miss games. I know we're talking about how the injuries changed history, but think about how 
staying healthy changes in history. On the other hand, like when you're looking at what did happen, the fact that these guys can come in every other day for like 10 years and do this is they're, they're pro athletes for a reason. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I don't got that type of availability. That's for sure. You're doing something better than me. I'll tell you that much. You guys think um, the Bulls would have won a championship by now if Derrick Rose never dealt with his injury bug? No. No, up. sir. Yeah, I'd probably have to say no the as only well. Way, That's so hard. The to, only that's thing so that changes that, if they would have been able to like get Carmelo, I think that would have been a little bit more of a discussion. Especially if they stayed together through like LeBron leaving Miami. And then say like Derek, a healthy Derek Rose and Carmelo Anthony are together with a solid core in like 2014-15 when then there's like no Kevin Love. Or wait, which one got injured first, Kyrie or Kevin Love? I always get it confused. Kevin Love. Kevin Love, okay. Still, I mean, LeBron and Kyrie might have taken them out anyways. But that's why I just said probably no. But I think they, they would have had a chance if they signed him. Because they still would have got Jimmy Butler. That was like pick 30. I think they already – yeah, they had Jimmy Butler before their pros got hurt, if I'm not so, mistaken. Yeah, I don't know if he would have – I don't know if he would have developed the same, but they would have had some talent. I think they would have been like a signing away, but just saying with Derrick Rose, Luol Deng, and Joe Cam Noah win you a ring if he doesn't get injured, probably not. No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Like Joe Cam Noah was good at the time, but he only had a few more years left of good basketball. Carlos Boozer wasn't that great for that much longer. Luol Deng wasn't that great for that much longer. Like that, that team's window, I think people now think was a lot bigger that it actually was in reality. And sure, maybe those players would have been more effective in their roles in Chicago longer, but when they left, none of them really played well. So I, I think it would have been a lot shorter window than people give it credit for. And I agree, completely agree with your point, Gabe. I think they would have had to make an addition to that team for them to, to push for a title. There's just so many like big injuries that happen to like star players that could change the course of NBA history, maybe not like championship-wise, but just even how the league will look today. Like, this popped into my head, because like that Portland Trailblazer team that had Brandon Roy, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Greg Oden, they were a really good team when they were all on the court together. So say it's like they didn't deal with injuries as much. Dane would probably be in a totally different situation today. You know, he probably wouldn't be in Portland. So it's just crazy how much like things could change just because of injuries. Yeah. But yeah, on that same token, that it's like it just that's why you really just gotta look at what does happen at the end of the day. Because while there is a lot of drawbacks and a lot of what didn't happen, you know how many players have like gotten the chance to shine and really made a name for themselves and then become stars in their own right because there was an opportunity because somebody else was out. Now that you want that to be the reason why they show out and make a name for themselves, but if you try to look at the bright side and be optimistic on like, okay, we cut a tough break, but look at what we got out of it. And I think you've seen many times through history that a star is born because another one goes away. 100%. That's just how the league works. I mean, not that it's the most underdog to start story, but look at Paul George once Danny Ranger dealt with his injuries in Indiana. And then he just kind of took over the team and then it became Paul George's team overnight. Again, like you say, you don't want injuries to happen, but a lot of guys take on their opportunities and actually grow in the league because of injuries. It's just the way it is, especially in roles that are very saturated in the league. When you think of the point guard spot in today's NBA, it's tough to get minutes as a rookie guard if you're not one of the top guys in a draft class because there's just so many guards. You're almost hoping that you're on a weak team or that someone gets injured if you're a guy that's trying to break into the league because it's so tough to get those NBA minutes and to make that break in. You you better darn well hope when you get that opportunity you play well because those opportunities don't come up very much, but those injuries do allow a lot of those players to get that opportunity. I mean, look at I mean yeah, is Anthony Simons doing this? Yep, I was just about to say that. Look at Anthony Simons. Yeah, definitely. Even guys like um, Cole Anthony this season, like minutes were opened up at that point guard spot because Markel Fultz 
you know, hurt his knee last year. So he's taking advantage of his opportunity now. It's like, what does Markel's future look like? So, yeah, yeah sometimes <laughs> injuries, it sucks that sometimes that's how guys get their career jump started, but got to be ready to take advantage of that opportunity when it comes. Definitely. Markel's supposed yeah, to be back say, on Monday, though, so look forward to seeing him back. Man, Wasn't, guy. like, Draymond Green's rise almost caused by injury? David Lee. David Lee, yep. Yeah, yeah. That's, what I, that's what I was – I was pretty sure. David Lee was tough. David Lee could hoop, bro. Good. <laughs> but if Lee Draymond Green didn't player. get that spot, I don't know if the Warriors' offense is what it is. And their defense. He's, I mean, their he's their defensive not. anchor. And their their offense is – obviously, Steph is their best offensive player. But Draymond – I feel like Draymond's the, like the floor general of that offense. And it's a great one. He's probably the most important offensive player. He's probably the most important player overall for that team, honestly. Yeah, I agree. Completely different team without him on the floor. There's no he replacement won't. for Draymond. Like, you, you just can't fill him in. Like, not that Curry <laughs> is overly replaceable either, but someone else can hit shots and score. Not to the level that Curry can do it, obviously, but someone else can do it. No one can really do what Draymond does because so much of it is feel for the game, knowledge of the system, knowledge of the game, his basketball intelligence. Like that's just not something you can just say, okay, next man up. Like that just doesn't exist. Ben Simmons? Ben yeah, Simmons? That there's not exactly a Ben Simmons sitting on everyone's bench. So <laughs> no, I feel like that's not nobody, but I'll respect the Draymond. What he does is very special. Hey, here's another because I know we remember when Steph Curry had he, – he had bad ankles for, like, the early part of his career. Do y'all remember when the trade was on the table? Instead of Monte going to the Bucks, it was supposed to be Steph Curry. But the Bucks didn't want to take a chance on Steph because he had the injury problems. Bucks folded. <laughs> Bucks folded, bro. Especially because they got – Bucks got Giannis kind of late, bro. Imagine. I don't even want to imagine. That would be absolutely insane. <laughs> That's the greatest pick and roll of all time. I'm sorry. Maybe the best duo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that'd be insane. That'd be insane. Steph, I still think Steph is a part of the best duo now. Steph and KD, to me, are the best two players to ever play together. Give me Shaq and Kobe. <laughs> Give me Shaq and Kobe. Yeah, that's – I don't know. It's that's a, tough. It's an argument. I think I think they're both better. MJ and Pippen are at best three. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Listen, I'm really sorry, bro. Shaq and Kobe. Shaq and Kobe, weren't they in, like, game seven with, like, Portland? And they probably should have lost to Sacramento, too, bro. But when yeah. it was Steph and KD together, GG. GG. won three straight championships. Steph and KD ain't do that. <laughs> Steph and KD only played together for three years. Shaq and Kobe played for eight. And they had to say they made what three straight finals? They ain't get it done. Kawhi <laughs> hey. is a pretty big one too. That's really changed things from San Antonio's standpoint. Obviously, from Toronto's standpoint. That one, I mean. I don't know if you guys have watched Rusty Bucket's uh, video on on Popovich, but there's some pretty good insight on on what went on in San Antonio then from how Kawhi wanted the second opinion. Popovich didn't like the second opinion. Popovich didn't want to trade him to a Western Conference team or into L.A., and he goes to L.A. anyways. And in turn, San Antonio ended up going from a 67-win team with Aldridge and Kawhi at the forefront to now being where they are today. Completely shifts things. Hey, if you're talking about San Antonio, they got Tim Duncan because of a David Robinson injury. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. San Antonio still might be like just a, like some random franchise that we're like, why are they even there if David Robinson doesn't get injured? Obviously, they would have had Robinson still and his greatness and George Gervin and a couple other greats on there. But San Antonio ain't San Antonio. They're not. They're not the blue blood that we know them to be. And David just, Robinson don't get injured. Yeah. They're just another small market team. Man, that a young star player is ready to leave in his third year. Like Zion. 
Hey, small market teams, bro, they need some help. Milwaukee's been holding it down. Milwaukee, Phoenix. Hey, yeah, Phoenix. Like, Devin Booker, he could have won it out, but he stuck around, man. Zion needs to, needs to learn learn his lesson. I don't know how he got back to Zion. That's my bad, but yeah. <laughs> hey, John Morant. John Morant was drafted right after into a small market. Bro, look at what the Grizzlies are doing right now. And Memphis is actually the smallest market in basketball. So, yeah. They know how to build a team over there. I'll give them that. Oh, they know sure. how to build a team. They have, other than, I can't even say because Toronto haven't been as good for so long. In like the last 15 years, other than San Antonio before them, they were probably the most consistent small market team at being like a competitive, consistent playoff team. They just know, they know how to put out a good basketball team. That is going to be all for this week's edition of the Three Point Weekly Podcast. We thank you guys for tuning in. Be sure to let us know down in the comments below uh, who you think has been most impacted by injuries, team, organization, or otherwise. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to leave a like down below, subscribe, five-star review, follow, do what you need to do to tune into the podcast every week. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll see you guys next week. Peace.